So last week we explored the temptation of Christ as the beginning of this year's Easter series. And I know that the temptation happened. Oops, am I coming through the speakers, Bri? Whew. Is that all set now? Good. Thanks. So I know the temptation happened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but we realized that the temptation he was going through in the Garden of Gethsemane right before his crucifixion was the same temptation. So this so it was a good place to start for the Easter series. And we learned that ultimately the temptation was about choosing God's way. Was that the temptation of Christ was to choose between God's way, which is grace, grace, which is God's true power, and man's way, force, which is man's power. Grace opens the door to true relationship. So if God loves us, if that's the case, if that is true, then it only makes sense that he wants to be in true relationship with us. Okay? Force, while it can cause the appearance of relationship, think appeasement. Think appeasement. If we're good enough, God will be in relationship with us. If God's good enough, we will be in relationship with him. Oh, and by the way, that's pretty much how we do this in humanity, right? You do this, I'll love you. You do that, I won't love you, right? So think appeasement, that's force. Actually, that destroys relationship. That was the temptation. If Jesus used force of any kind, true relationship goes away, and the grand plan of salvation comes to an end. Thankfully, Jesus didn't fall to that temptation. But as we saw, the church and all of us so often do, which is understandable. Because force is the way we humans function in the world. And it seems to work so well, doesn't it? Force gets results. From disciplining our kids, to disciplining criminals, to manipulating others, it works. It works. But it doesn't create relationship. It actually destroys or closes the door on relationship. Grace, on the other hand, always leaves the door open. In fact, grace signifies there is no door. The cross is indication that God has always and will always love us. The door is always open to God. But of course, while grace sounds better than force, and I think most of us theoretically want to believe that, I think we do, I think that's why we... We join communities of faith, why we read the Bible, why we pray, we want to believe in grace. We have trouble still with the temptation. Trouble rejecting the temptation. The temptation of Christ is the same temptation we all go through all the time. That's why it's such an important piece of scripture. It's so good for us to have there so we can learn so much. And I think the practical reason that we have so much trouble with the temptation is this. There is no control living grace. And control is the great seducer. Please hear this. We live in so much fear of so many things. Maybe not consciously, 
Some of us can sit here and say, oh, I don't, I'm not afraid of anything. Okay, but we all have fear, and it shows in how we react to situations. That's where our fear comes from. You ever find yourself reacting violently, even if it's just emotionally violently to things? Fear. Fear. That's what happens when you corner an animal. Fear. Okay? So what we do is we believe if we can exercise enough control, enough control over our circumstances, we can prevent all the things we're afraid of. This is why it's the great seducer. If we eat healthy and exercise, we're going to live longer. If we get that college degree, that really good college degree, that's going to get us a really good job and we're going to have, make a lot of money. And if we use just the right amount of manipulation, or sometimes yelling, or sometimes criticizing, or sometimes judging, or whatever, we'll keep our relations in tow. We'll get our employees to do what they want, we want them to do. We'll get our spouses, our kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. See how control is the great seducer? And it's because it works so much. It seems to work, doesn't it? But here's the problem. It's an illusion. So when we buy into this illusion, we're buying into a lie. Some of us that are old enough have started to accept this illusion, that it's an illusion, but most of us don't because we're too young. Even at 54, I'm too young. But here's the deal. Do you know how many people who eat right and exercise get sick and die young? Jim Fix from Boston, the great marathoner, wrote a book on running, dropped dead at 52 of a heart attack. We don't need to go outside the walls of this little chapel to talk about that illusion of controlling our health. You know how many rich people have the best jobs in the world and get laid off and fired suddenly, lose everything? You're not in control. And while we may get our relations to toe the line, all we're doing is destroying the relationship from the inside out. Oh, it might bring peace in that moment. It might solve things right then for us. But we're just destroying the relationship, aren't we? And that's why we need grace. To show us a better way. The way is how the original followers of Jesus called it, the way. Not a way, not, not a good way, the way. And that way is we do not need to pursue control. We can be vulnerable. We can be vulnerable. And we can trust that God does love us even when things go radically wrong. And in his love for us, we can live out grace and enjoy full, authentic humanity in good seasons and in bad seasons. But I listen. I know this is hard. That was really easy for me to say. That was really easy for me to study and to share with you this morning. But I know it's hard. Because here's the thing. We all have our fears and reasons for trying to control our worlds. We do. And often they're very good reasons for trying to control our world. We all have our needs and our desires to preserve. Self-preservation. We learn that from the time we're babies and we start screaming when we're hungry. And oh, food shows up. And we haven't stopped. Just the desires have changed. But we haven't stopped throwing tantrums to get what we want. 
and we all have our own understanding of the truth. That's a big one. And this is where the church has fallen down, which we're going to see in a minute. And all these things together make us choose human power instead of God's power. And that's why I love this story of Palm Sunday so much. There's a whole cast of characters here, just like us, who imagine they're in control, imagine they know what the truth is, imagine they understand the events of the day, and they all fall to the temptation of Christ. So, what I want to do is look at these characters and see what we can learn about ourselves and how we can apply this to our own lives. So, at the start of the day, the disciples, to their credit, were really trying to let their lives be about grace and not about control. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. Watch how faithful they were to what he said. He said, hey, listen, go to the village. You'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden, untie and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, the Lord needs it, say the Lord needs it. So they went, they found the colt, asked, they did it, exactly as Jesus said. That's a good way to live grace. So remember last week, if you were here and we were looking at the temptation in Christ, the very first rejection he made was, no, no, I, I don't need bread. I live out of everything God says. There's the first good way to live grace. What does Jesus say? We all, most of us know what Jesus says. We just don't like what Jesus says. Most of us know it. And if we don't know it, find out what Jesus says. That's all. So there's a good start. Good start, they're trying so hard. But maybe we don't believe Jesus. Okay, well, that's a different issue. But if we believe Jesus, just find out what Jesus says and do it. So Jesus is clear. Love your enemies. Forgive those who hurt you. Like, he's very clear on certain things. The big picture of Jesus is a little vague but not clearly how he wants us to live in grace, right? So living in grace, beautiful. But then their own wants and desires and needs take over. Watch this. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. Now, stay with me here because in our culture and time, we don't really have anything that looks like this. So you're probably saying, what, David? How is this all of a sudden falling to temptation? Stay with me. There is no indication in the text Jesus demanded these garments. None. None. Okay? This is their idea. This is their way of controlling their own lives. See, here's the thing. Jesus had never ridden before. Throughout all the stories of Jesus' life, he's never rode anything. He walked among the people he loved. He was humble enough. He didn't care. He didn't need to set himself apart. So he walked. However, today was different. Today he needed to set himself apart. That is true. But his reason, his reason for doing so, the disciples just missed. They imagined another reason, and they threw their garments on the donkey. Okay. So again, we don't have anything like this. The closest we have to this is red carpets. In red carpets, even in our day, doesn't do this because red carpets is more for celebrities than anything now, right? They have TV shows about red carpets, I think. Okay. So, but this is about kings. They thought finally he, or maybe they hoped finally. Let's put it that way. They hoped finally he was declaring himself king, and so the garments were to embellish that idea. By putting garments on this donkey and in front of the donkey to walk on, they were basically saying, your majesty, sit on my garments, 
walk on my garments on your way to overthrow the Roman Empire. There it is. Now listen, here's the thing. In their defense, they had good reasons for wanting this so badly. Remember, we all have our reasons for choosing force. They had great reason for it. They were sick of Roman oppression. Right in his little band, this little band of guys, there were some that were sick of being revolutionaries and always having to hide from the Romans. There were some that were sick of being tax collectors and working for the oppressors and being hated by their family and friends. And then I think some of these guys were just sick of being fishermen and working too many hours and not getting paid enough. That one we can probably latch on to. <laughs> being revolutionaries, not in our country. You see? They had their desires. They had a dream of a new kingdom in which their lives were radically changed and better. So they wanted to make it happen. They chose force. Plus, okay, so we all have that. Now here's where it gets really dangerous. Here's where the church comes in. Here's where we often come in. They had scriptural support for this. This is where it gets tricky in how we read and understand the Bible. So here's what they knew from scriptural support. I hope if I'm here. Yes, first kings. So what did they know? They knew that the first king of Israel, Solomon, not the first king. Saul was the first king, sorry. They knew that Solomon, when Solomon was inaugurated king, he rode a donkey. Okay? They also further knew that God promised David a perpetual kingdom. We read that in 1 Samuel and also in Psalm 89. And that despite the current hopelessness of Roman occupation, the prophets had foretold the Messiah would come as the Davidic king in Amos and in Micah. So they took their understanding of Scripture, put it together, and started a victory parade. See what happens when we bring our agenda to Scripture? You can do anything you want with Scripture. This is why one of my favorite, favorite things to say when I was 20 years old was, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. And now I'm 54, and I'm like, I'm just trying to figure the Bible out. And I'll stick with Jesus. Because when you start taking verses, and you start coming up with, and you bring your agenda to it, you can do anything you want. This is why slavery didn't go away in this country for years and years. It's right in the Bible. Up until the 1960s, I think even today there are people trying to convince themselves slavery is God's will for us. So they thought they had it. So they started this parade, and long before the crowds joined in, and why not? The crowds had their own dreams, their own desires, their own fears. They were sick of Roman oppression, right? So they thought, let's do what we can to assure the fulfillment of our desires. Let's use force. And they grabbed palm branches. Oh, was that the palm branches? They grabbed the palm branches. Now these are loaded with meaning. This is why we have a Palm Sunday. These branches are loaded with meaning. In 2 Maccabees, we learn that the last time Jerusalem was freed, which was 100 years before this parade, the people waved palm branches. See, Judas Maccabeus, he got together a bunch of revolutionaries and he retook the city 100 years before this. 
and they used palm branches. He made palm branches the symbol of that celebration. Do you see why they started pulling palm branches out of the trees? This is why a king has come and is going to free our city. He's going to overthrow Rome. The crowd was caught up in doing it their way. They thought they knew what was going on. They thought they understood, so they acted to control the outcome to their desires. Control. What a great seducer. Here's the sad bit. The masses falling to the temptation is rather understandable. But the disciples probably should have known better. You see, just a few days, a few days before this happened, not a few years, a few days before this happened, Jesus pulled the disciples together and he said, hey, we're going to Jerusalem and this is what's going to happen. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later he will rise. A few days, they must have been on their iPhones. They must have missed it. Or maybe they just didn't want to hear it. David, stop telling us we have to forgive our enemies. Stop it. That's stupid. I, I know. Let's make a different religion. We'll keep Jesus because he's a good thing. Because he died to save me so I can go to heaven, but... Screw everybody else. And this grace thing you're talking about? No, 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 no. I got plenty of verses we don't need to live grace. I got it. A few days. And this wasn't the first time. He had been telling them this for three years. And what else? If they really knew their scripture, they should have known why he asked for this. You see, he said, get a donkey which has never been ridden. You know how I'm always telling you, get into the Bible, read the Bible? You don't have to. If you're fine doing what you do, and your life's working for you, awesome. But if you want to be consistent when you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you, bet, you have to read the Bible to know what Jesus Christ is about. You can't take something... I say in 30 minutes on a Sunday morning or something you heard some preacher say for 30 minutes on another Sunday morning and because it fit your worldly agenda, latch on to it. You've got to read the whole thing. Many times. And keep going and going and going and going. And listen, I understand we're all busy. So my job as best as I understand it is to help us do what we can't do. So I try, but it's, it's not enough. These 30 minutes aren't enough. Besides, most of the time, I'm confusing as heck. You walk out of here and go, I, I have no idea what David just said. You've got to read. So here they are, remember, thinking their scripture. They know what's happening. We're having a victory parade. No, actually, this is what their scripture said had they read the whole thing. This is a requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer without defect or blemish. That has never been under a yoke with two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. Beasts of burden for sacrifice could never have been used for work. They should have known that when he asked for a beast of burden that had never been used for work, he wasn't talking about a victory parade. 
they didn't. But see, our agendas and what we need and what we want, how easy it is to twist and use force instead. But, but I have to do this. Okay. But I'm just letting us know grace is better if Jesus is God and Jesus is true. So yes, Jesus chose to ride into Jerusalem on this day to make a statement, to finally set himself apart. But it was not to assert himself as the final king. It was to offer himself as the final sacrifice. He had no intention of being the Messiah king, at least of our kingdoms. For he is already king of the only kingdom that matters, God's kingdom. He intended instead to be the Messiah Savior. See how interesting how close we sometimes come? How close they were. But when we act out of our own desires, instead of grace and love, we just miss the point. This much. Like Calvin Miller wrote in one of my favorite poems, sometimes God and the devil stand quite close, like silent men on a chessboard, where only the color of the squares is different. This is why the temptation of Christ that we studied last week was so magnificent. Satan really didn't suggest anything wrong. But oh, it was all wrong. Self-preservation, our own desires, safety, it's not wrong. But oh, it's so wrong. And this is how close they were. They were yelling out, Hosanna. Do you know what Hosanna means? Save us. This is how close they were. He was there to save them, but not from the Roman Empire. He was there to save them from evil in the oppression of all that is wrong. They were close indeed. However, close only works in horseshoes. And as we get to the end of the story, all the people are gone. I love the way Mark ends his account of this. I love this. Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. How anticlimactic is that? What? It was a victory parade. Where's the feasting? Where's the spoils of war? Where are all the people? They're gone. I suppose it didn't take long for these people shouting Hosanna and calling prom branches to realize, wait a second, he has no soldiers. He has no weapons. He has no plan. And I like to imagine that how it happened is they got inside the city gates and, and these city streets weren't that big. And remember, it was crowded with pilgrims and therefore it was crowded with Roman soldiers because Tiberius would have sent up a whole bunch of, of Pilate would have sent up a whole bunch of Roman soldiers to keep the peace during the grand pilgrimage that this is. This happened on a great pilgrimage day, Passover. And so I imagine there they are and all the people waving palm branches, Jesus on his donkey and his ragtag bunch of men, and then this big cohort of big war. You know, if you've ever seen pictures of what Romans used to ride in these big, 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 big horses, and coming down, they had to scrabble down, scramble down this little alleyway. And it was probably right then that people started thinking, oh, oh, this is not going to happen. That is not what this is about at all. 
They realized quickly this guy was not going to be able to give them what they wanted. Of course, he offered them exactly what they wanted. They just didn't know it. What they needed, they just didn't know it. They wanted the things that are passing. Jesus offered them the eternal. That's from one of my favorite Rich Mullen songs. You probably recognize that lyric. So by week's end, their shouts of blessed is the one became shouts of crucify him, and their palm branches of desire turned brown and dry. Here's how Chuck Warnick writes it, and I love this. In their confusion and anger and fear, those who on Sunday had welcomed Jesus as their new Messiah to be, by Friday had turned on him, weary of disappointment, weary of themselves, weary of their lives. And so tired of all they could not control, they cried out for vengeance they could control. If Jesus would not be their king, then let's be rid of him. Oh, that's us. That's us. If this is going to work out the way I want it, because grace is not working, then I'm going to do it my way. And it's always that way with our own desires, our own wants, our own way, our need to control ruins relationships, ruins families, ruins friendships, ruins our own lives. You know, you have a million times during the day you're tempted to act with force or grace. One particular time this week, I got an email, and oh man, not, not from anyone here, that has nothing to do with this job, but I got an email, and I just wanted to react with force. I wanted to set the record straight. I wanted to get them to apologize for that email. There's so much I wanted to do, and for the next two hours while I wrestled with this temptation, and I'm sitting here studying all this, and I'm thinking, oh, thanks, Lord, for giving me a perfect test of what I'm trying to believe in. I was a mess. I was miserable. And I was like, wait a second. I'm miserable just trying to get this settled. And then I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. It does not matter in the grand scheme of things at all. And it was funny. Right at that time, I, had, I was driving, and I needed to do some texting. So I pulled into a cemetery. I was out on Hope Avenue, Auburn. And I was just looking at some of these things, and I was like, I'm going to be a stone in a blink of an eye. Does this really matter? And I just wrote back, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean that at all. I'm so sorry, misunderstood. Let me try to correct this. Boy, did I feel better. They still hate me. I don't care. But I felt so much better. Grace. I didn't fix anything. And then, you know, later in the day, I'm driving down the road. I'm going to email that. But no, I didn't. I get force. We want to be right. I get it. And that's little. That's nothing. But I just thought that was just a practical thing. That's nothing. I didn't, I didn't want to expose too many of the, the skeletons in my closet and stuff. Anyway, it ruins us. God's way is different. See, here's the thing. Of everyone in the story, I know I'm running late. I'm sorry. It's Palm Sunday. I'm finishing up. Of everyone in the story, Jesus was the only one who really knew what he was doing, the only one who understood. Let me have Warnick do it because he does it so much better than me. And so when the road in Jerusalem changed from triumph to torture, Jesus stayed on it. When the shouting of the crowds moved from joy to judgment, Jesus stayed on it. When the mood of the mob switched from adoration to accusation, Jesus didn't flinch. When the road became rough, steep, and lonely, Jesus kept going. Because the road that Jesus trod was the same road he had always walked. It was the road of humility, of love, of patience, of hope, of encouragement. It was the way of salvation, not of empire. 
It was the way of kingdom, not of the king. It was the road to glory, not to government. It was the way of righteousness, not of Rome. It was the road of grace, not of force. So here's the question, what road are we on? What road are we on? What road do we want to be on? Grace of the only kingdom that really matters or force of the kingdom that is an illusion? Here's the thing. Fighting this temptation starts with the same way it started for some of these people. Who is this? If you don't know Jesus, get to know him. And if you think you know Jesus, get to know him. Ask, who is this? And study this Jesus that we claim to follow and love. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King. But he is a Messiah that wants to save. He is a King that wants to serve. If we are tired of trying to control our life and riding a roller coaster of emotions, up when we're winning, down when we're losing, up when we're healthy, down when we're sick, up when we've paid our bills, down when we're in collection, up when relationships are great, down when relationships, if we are sick of that roller coaster, here's a suggestion. Let's trust there is a God who really loves us and cede all control to him. Even when it seems he's not there and he's really not doing a good job of controlling things. His disciples didn't think God was controlling things that weekend, but boy, did that turn out okay. We may need to readjust our understanding of what we really need and of what we really want. We may need to put down the palm branches and understand better what salvation really looks like. We may need to embrace the cross and trust that love always does eventually win even when we can't see it happening. But I can assure us of this, a God who would die for the privilege of holding our life in his hands is a God we can trust because that is a God that will never let us go. Amen. And thanks so much.